Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, but of course, put it in context. Try to explain the darn thing. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Why on stocks at all? What kind of mask just wants to be subjected to another day like today? Dow plunged 464 points. S&P plummeted 1.58%. The Nasdaq nosedived 1.63%. Wouldn't it be easier just to stick your money in certificates of deposit where you get a nice, steady, risk-free return? Those are actually good questions. You know, I woke up this morning in a pool of sweat. I was just bummed out. I was just furious. Furious at the Fed for being so foolish. Furious at the president, at the president for backing the Fed into a corner with his ham-fisted attempts to apply pressure. And furious at all the commentators who applauded Fed Chief Jerome Powell for what were really amounting to be reckless statements yesterday. Powell had a chance, and he blew it. It's unfathomable to me that he could cut his GDP forecast and then say, we still need two more rate hikes. Look, if you really think the economy is slowing, why not wait to see how the slowdown plays out? Wouldn't that be prudent? But for me, the worst part of this is that I have a better read on the economy than the Fed. And I know they're not going to listen to me. I feel powerless, just like 2007, when I ran that the Fed needed to start easing aggressively in order to stave off a of financial catastrophe. I said that they were clueless. They know nothing! They know it didn't make one way of difference, did it? The Fed didn't want to listen. In fact, they laughed at me. That's actually there. I've got them. It's in this one, if you want to just check it out. It's the meetings of the Federal Open Market Committee on August 7, 2007. They laughed at me. Exhibit A. So now I lie awake at night trying to figure out how I can convince the Fed to change course because I know the policy's wrong. The economy's experiencing some real weakness. Some pockets of strength. Yeah, we had Sintas tonight's good Nike. Okay, but... Real weakness all over the place, even versus three months ago. In fact, the weakness started getting serious in the first week of October, right when Powell started talking about the need to raise interest rates four more times. You know what Powell did? He didn't understand his own words. He didn't understand his strength. He freaked people out. If you're the Fed chairman and, you're, and you yourself cause the economy to cool down, you've got to have a game plan to deal with the fallout. And that game plan does not include more rate hikes. Economies are sensitive animals. They can be cowed much more easily than Powell seems to believe. I wish there was some way to convince, convince the guy that we're going to get a nasty slowdown, which is what both the stock and bond markets are screaming. My wife, Lisa, was justifiably concerned when she saw how depressed I was, and she reminded me that in the end, I can't do anything about it. Come on. She said, Jim, you're a TV talk show host. It, it's not my job to fight the Fed. It's my job to explain why stocks may still be worth buying and which ones aren't, and more important, why this isn't the end of the world. So rather than focusing on what the Fed's doing wrong, let me help you navigate your way through this this difficult period. We did it before, right? Remember 2007, 2009? We'll do it again. No problem. 
First, it does make sense to own some stocks in a diversified portfolio here. I say some because you shouldn't have all your money in stocks. Not right now. Personally, I'm buying some certificates of deposit with some money. I never talked about that, did I? Because uh, with my new money, thanks to the Fed, they've become uh, very attractive for these CDs. Thank you, Jerome Powell. Especially now that I'm older and I can't afford to risk losing too much principal and inflation's beginning to cool. At the same time, I'm still contributing uh, to index funds for my kids. Why not? They're in their 20s and teens. They have their whole lives ahead of them, which means they can earn back anything they lose and then some. I contributed a few hundred dollars to my IRA even when I lived in my car in the late 70s in L.A. I actually used the money I saved on homeowner's insurance. It paid off huge. I can't believe how much money my persistent IRA contributions, starting when I was 24, have made over the years. The compounding is magnificent. I'm not going to try to figure out. Yeah, time those kinds of contributions for anybody. These are ultra long-term wagers. In fact, my years, uh, for years, my index funds really didn't make any money at all. But then when you least expected it, boom, you got some major gains. Like we had in 1981 when the great bull market started, the one that ended in 2007. Well, I'm going to be able to time that. Maybe I would have taken it all out in 1980. Which brings me to the notion of the unexpected. If you're buying stocks here, you know what you're really making a bet on? You're making a bet that Jerome Powell will learn what I know already. That the economy is downshifted enough that, he, that it's downshifted enough he doesn't need to move. He knows that the next rate hike will be real bad for Main Street, for you at home. So I bet you it may not even happen. Every day there are new indications of weakness in both consumer and corporate spending. You know what? Today was Carnival's turn for the consumer. We'd spoken to Arnold Donald, CEO of the cruise line, not that long ago. We know he could execute well. He's one of the best there is. But Carnival didn't make as much money per passenger as we expected. And while bookings are strong, there's been a downtick from even a few months ago. Downtick. Lots of people were in the stock because fuel costs have come down. It didn't matter. Business is weaker. That's the first real softness we've seen from the travel and leisure space. So the whole sector got hammered. We don't want to lose that space, but we're losing it. On the corporate side, Accenture told the tale. This is a fabulous technology consulting company I've been recommending for years. And they told us, unbelievably, that well, bookings are basically flat. These were pitiful numbers from Accenture. Not at all what I was looking for from this high-quality company that helps so many enterprises migrate to the cloud. I didn't expect to see weakness in that secular trend, but there it is. And like Carnival, it's a first. You don't want to lose travel and leisure. You don't want to lose cloud migration. You don't want to lose tech spending. Unfortunately, Carnival and Accenture are perfect arbingers of a softer economy. Does the Fed know them? Does Powell read the transcripts? Is he on the calls? Uh, does he talk to the analysts? Does he read the reports? Yesterday, it was Micron's turn to downtick. Micron's the most important indicator of tech hardware spending because their chips are basically the ultimate building blocks of computers and phones. Does he know that? Do the Fed know that? Did they speak to Micron like we did? Did they do the work? Probably not. Hey, it's okay. I'm a work maniac. Hey, maybe it's should work harder. It's all right. It's every day, people. It's every day. If I can get with the Fed, I can give them example after example after example. Real life examples of why they need to stop tightening now that they just did this rate hike. The evidence is so against Powell that it's, it's painful. But even if Powell is committed to being deliberately obtuse, sooner or later, the weakness will be undeniable. And I'll have to change course, which is a reason why you can own stocks. I'm confident in my judgment. So confident that I'm sure Powell will have to reverse course maybe in the next four months. When he does, you'll regret selling because the market will rebound so fast. Yes, you should have some cash. I wish I had more cash for action alerts for my charitable trust. You just wish it because you didn't expect to be down a thousand points like that. But that was wrong. I thought he was going to do the right thing. He didn't. Unfortunately, there's no telling when he'll figure out when to do the right thing. So uh, you can just hang on until he does, because he will. What happened to there's always a bull market somewhere? 
But right now it's in gold. Well, that's perfect, isn't it? That's why I always bring on Rangold, the miner with a 3.2% yield and nice production growth. Or you can buy the GLD, the ETF that mirrors the price of gold. Either one's fine with me. I always have 10% of my, of, uh, my pastiche in uh, gold, gold funds. Look, I'm not sanguine about the situation. We are due for a bounce. Minus 10 on the oscillator. It's worse since you know, many, many years. But we don't even seem to be able to get one. We will, though. We are way too oversold even for a bear market. When it happens, I think you want to trim the bad stocks. Bad meaning the fundamentals have gotten noticeably weaker, like so many of the companies that I follow that Jay doesn't. Until then, though, the odds simply do not favor stockholders. You're fighting an ill-advised Fed, and that's not a fight most people can win. Bottom line, when Jay Powell recognizes that he's wrong, which is fine, he's a good man, the market will come roaring back, and you'll be furious at yourself, or at me if I told you to get out, right? You'll be sure, furious at yourself if you sold everything down here. It's a shame because a lot of this pain could have been avoided with a more prudent action by this Fed chief. But uh, that's neither here nor there now, right? And I couldn't do anything. Given the Fed chief we have, be prepared for more pain. Just know that sooner or later, the pain is bound to reverse itself. Let's hope it's sooner. Robert, New Jersey, Robert. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call today. Quite welcome. Okay. Uh, let me, uh, I know you love PepsiCo as a recession-resistant stock. Right. Stocks go. But I also wanted to uh, make somewhat of a suggestion about there are high-growth legacy tech stocks. I'm thinking of Microsoft. It's gone down almost about as much as PepsiCo, and do you think that they are something that is a stock worth holding? Okay, I think Microsoft is a terrific stock. It's one of the largest holdings in my, uh, in my charitable trust. We've been telling members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club that it is just terrific. Now, can it go down? Of course it can. It traded at this level at the beginning of October when power at the market. The problem is, of course, we know it's not recession-proof. It's a business. Um, but at the same time, it's a high-quality business, and I think that you can start buying some shares here. Let's go to Harold in New York, please. Harold. Hi, Jim. Can you hear me? Yeah, I sound great. Hi. This is uh, regarding Dell, DVMP. Right. They have a merger agreement with Teton. I think it has to do with bringing Dell back, back to being public again with all of their debt. Now, the choices they're giving us is to either redeem our shares at $120 cash each or convert our shares to 1.5 to 1.8 new shares of the new stock. What's the best way to go? I, if they, and if I you're know allowed to split it, I'd split it. Take some, cash, take some cash out and uh, be in the stock. Michael Dell is really fabulous. and he, he understands a lot more about business than almost anybody I've ever met. He's a terrific guy. So I want to be affiliated with the situation. I, by the way, I like VMware even more. That's my faith. All right. The odds don't favor stockholders at this moment. But I'm saying it's a moment. It's a moment in time, like 2007, 2009, but nowhere near as bad. And there, I did tell you to get out, just so you know. Whew, mad money tonight. Is the tide turning for, are you ready? Ski Daddy, GE, stock's up about 15% or $1 from the fresh lows that it set last week. Could the move continue? I'm going to give you my take. Then it's the last fireside chat of 2018. You got some questions, so let's gather around the Yule log. I'm here to help. And as the market continues to digest yesterday's rate hike, I'm talking to the CEO of a company that can offer real insight into how the economy is faring. Do not miss my sit-down with the CEO of Paychecks. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. There's always a bull market somewhere, and that's what I tell you night after night. And earlier I told you that there's a solid one right now in gold. Sometimes, though, the bull shows up in the most unlikely of places, some individual stocks. For example, even in this horrific market where the averages have gone into free fall thanks to a clueless Federal Reserve, which gave us the worst month since the horrendous February of 2009, there are still some winners that managed to defy the tape. Winners like... General Electric. That's right, you heard me. General Electric. After spending the last couple of years in the doghouse, (laughs) GE's hated stock has suddenly gotten its mojo back. It were nearly 12% from its lows last week. So how does one of the most despised names in the market make a comeback right when everything else is collapsing? Simple. Last Thursday, GE caught an upgrade from J.P. Morgan Steve Tusa, the analyst who's been the company's biggest and most accurate critic since 2016. He told everyone to get out when the stock was just above 30. He has tremendous credibility. I love the guy. Then last week, with the darn stock at six bucks and change, he finally relents and he upgrades GE from a sell to a neutral. That, in combination with some other positive developments, allowed the stock to bounce. The question is, what now? Has General Electric finally bottomed? Is it time to buy or is it still way too soon to give you the all clear on this deeply troubled company? First, remember the background here. GE has been gutted by a series of horrible management decisions under the old Jeff Immelt regime. The company doubled down on the power business, buying a bunch of power and energy assets from a French company called Alsim at a hugely inflated price. Just as that business started rolling over. Sell, sell, sell. They invested heavily in oil right near the peak. And if that wasn't enough, then we learned about some massive unfunded liabilities. Over a decade ago, GE wrote a ton of long-term care insurance policies that are completely underpriced, along with anyone anyone else who wrote these policies, not just GE. And now that beneficiaries have started to collect these companies are hemorrhaging money because you get this full round-the-clock care in your home, and no one thought it would cost that much or people would live that long. That's a big reason why Inmelt moved on. And it also helped get his replacement, John Flannery, fired after he failed to get his arms around this problem and some others from the get-go. It's why the dividend is all but eliminated. It's a major reason why, along with this huge, hapless power division I referred to, that this stock has been such a dog. Now, a little over a month ago, I told you that GE would continue to get slammed until the two analysts who'd been correctly bearish all the way down, Steve Tusa from J.P. Morgan and John Inch, now from Gordon Haskett, changed their tune. These guys both nailed the decline, even when nobody else seemed to believe them. And they've consistently understood the company better than its own management. So I explained that the stock simply couldn't bottom until they went positive. Since then, GE lost another nearly 9%, and it was down 18% at last week's lows. 
These days, everybody hates General Electric. It's de rigueur. At the beginning of the month, the stock got slammed by Barron's. Then the Wall Street Journal published a story about how the SEC was looking into whether GE Capital may have hidden these hideous long-term care losses. The stock swooned to $6.66 intraday last Tuesday. I know, ominous number. And settled at $6.71 on Wednesday afternoon. But then the very next day, the single biggest bear on GE, Steve Tusa, comes out and gives the company a vote of confidence, or at least something that was perceived as a vote of confidence. Why did he upgrade the stock from underweight, Wall Street speak for sell, to neutral? It's actually pretty surprisingly straightforward, as is everything this guy does. Tusa's upgrade is all about the risk-reward. He says the negatives here are now better understood, meaning the potential downside here is mostly baked into the share price. That's really all he said. Let me put it another way. Tusa had a $6 price target on GE. When the stock came down to $6 and change, well, he upgraded to neutral. Logical. Basically, he declared victory. Turns out stocks get cheaper as they go down, even the stock of General Electric. However, what's important is that Tucson didn't raise his price target. He didn't say the problems have been solved. In fact, he thinks the earnings estimates may need to be cut further. It's just that GE stock has come down to the point where he believes it has a reasonable valuation. Maybe the new CEO, Larry Culp, a very smart executive from Danher, can turn things around and navigate the company through this difficult period. On the other hand, Tusa points out that GE might need to do a secondary offering to raise capital, which would initially not be a good thing for the stock, even as it would ultimately be very helpful for a balance sheet, for the balance sheet, which would then allow the stock over time to rally. Still, if things go badly, Tusa sees GE go into five. Things go well, things can trade up to eight. Because the stock is so hated and Tusa is so trusted, GE caught fire right after its fairly tepid upgrade. And that's just the beginning. Suddenly, with the bear in chief no longer quite so bearish, investors were more receptive to any potential good news coming out of the company because you wouldn't get smacked around the head with another reiteration of the sale on a price target cut from Steve Tusa. Later that same day, GE announced that it would be reorganizing its software business as an independent company focused on the Internet of Things. I had this part of a longer-term plan to sell off or spin out non-core divisions with the goal of turning GE into a pure play on power and aviation. Then yesterday, the stock folded from $7.27 to $7.66 as we got the next step in the breakup plan. Bloomberg reported that GE's filed for an IPO of its healthcare business. This, along with the aerospace business, are the two jewels in the crown, and investors love to get their hands on some healthcare stock. Now, we knew this spinoff was coming over since the well, management previously announced it, the previous management. But that was, well, it was John Flannery. Some people felt it would be repudiated. Yesterday, we got confirmation that GE is going to keep moving forward with the spinoff, even with the, new, with, uh, with the new CEO. Larry's back in this one. And they seem to have a real sense of urgency. That's why the stock spiked, even as the averages got pummeled by the Federal Reserve's clueless call. So what does this mean for us? Well, before you get too excited about Steve Tusa's upgrade, don't forget, there's another influential bear out there, John Inch, still at Gordon Haskett. He's still skeptical, but he's not at J.P. Morgan, which is what matters. J.P. Morgan's a big firm. On the other hand, last week, the Wall Street Journal published a devastating piece titled GE Power, the American Century, then it burned out, which read more like a eulogy than anything else. The journal paints a devastating portrait of management's incompetence under the leadership of the blundering Jeff Immel, followed by the swift burnout of his successor, John Flannery. It's a very entertaining piece. I loved it. But this is not the kind of thing that inspires confidence, even if the company's finally brought in an outsider to turn things around, meaning they're hopefully put a lot of this baggage behind them. So why might this be a positive for the stock? Because when the Wall Street Journal publishes an epic eulogy for your business, that's the kind of thing that often marks the bottom. If you're going to sell this thing, well, let's just say you should have already sold it. Unfortunately, I just don't have the conviction yet to recommend the stock. You don't buy an industrial when you're worried about a Fed-induced smackdown, even if it's an industrial with a stock that's come down dramatically. But you know what? I think this guy Culp's the right man for the job. I loved what he did at Danaher. The problem is the job itself. It's Herculean. 
like cleaning the Aegean, the Aegean stables. You know, like that thing, like Hercules. The bottom line, GE deserved to, be re- deserved to rebound based on that upgrade from Steve Tusa, the analyst with the sharpest read on where the company's headed. However, Tusa didn't exactly give you the green light to start buying here. The stock simply came down to its bearish price target. I think GE might be done going down, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily ready to be bought. Maybe they do that capital raise, and that would be a better opportunity, which is why I recommend holding off for now. I wish I could, be, uh, could tell you to buy shares in Steve Tusa. And if I were Larry Culp, I'd put him on the board or even make him the CFO. Wouldn't that be something? Hey, stranger things have happened. Let's go to Jonathan in Kentucky. Jonathan. Hi, Jim. This is Adam. I'm here with my son, Jonathan, who's nine years old and loves your show. That was easy. Let's hit it. Hi, uh, Jim. Uh, I love your show, and I think that like it's like super funny and uh, probably like the funniest thing on your show was like a few months ago when he did the bear trap, which I thought was like really funny. You like that? Yeah. I, I'm that showing really Gumby funny. right now just to show I'm really in there. Yeah. Um, and for my question, uh, I would like to talk about uh, Lockheed Martin and and I think that they're like um, a good thing to buy right now. Uh, with all their sales of the Jets, like, worldwide. And uh, I think it's just a really good thing to buy right now. Um, I am going to totally agree with you. And first of all, I want to thank you. I love it when kids are involved. This young gentleman, Adam, Jonathan, Jonathan and Adam, is there. He's got a 3% yield. The business is growing. He can own this stock for the next 30 years. That's what I like. 30 years! The general deserved that rebound. GE may be ready to stop going down, but not to come back up yet. But I, you know what? I think it's getting interesting. What's more mid money at? Tis the season for chestnuts roasting on an open fire. So why not gather around the Yule log while I toast 2018 and take your questions about the coming year? Then I'm digesting yesterday's rate hike news with the CEO of Paychex. And it's a private player whose board includes a former House Speaker, the CFO of IBM, and the Prime Minister of former Prime Minister of Canada, the only board in Canada. What brought them all together? We don't miss my exclusive with Acreage Holdings. Again, highly speculative trades in Canada. Stay with Craig. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. And now, a fireside chat with Jim Cramer. You know what? Feels like the odds are not favoring stockholders right now. This market can throw you down and pick you up in single session, a little oversold. What does it mean? So as we head into the end of the year, we want to open up the phone lines, hear your voices. Yes, the voices of Cramerica truly understand what it's like out there. So why don't we get started with Vince in Pennsylvania. Vince. Vince? Hello. Hey, how you doing? 
Hey, this is Jim Kramer. You bet it is. Is this Vince? Hey, man, how are you? Well, you know, it's been a couple tough slog. How you been? Well, man, I'm not turning into Jake Clampett over here. That kind of brings me to my question, man. What's going on with the oil market? You know what? Uh, David Faber said, Jim, can't you come up with another reason other than supply and demand, too much supply? No. I mean, there's too much supply. A lot of countries felt that maybe Iran was going to be taken off, so they managed to open the spigot. But the United States is just pumping like mad. And they need to now because they need the cash flow. So the answer, my friend, is it's supply overwhelming demand in a time when the world's growth is slowing. Don't tell Jay Powell that. Don't tell Jay Powell. Might upset him. Might upset him. Thank you. Let's go to, why don't we go to Stuart in Virginia? Stuart. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Stuart. Jim, I need some advice. Sure. I've got my mad money portfolio separate from my retirement funds. Okay. It's been very aggressive. I got FANG, I got chip stocks, biotech, and oil. It's done great for five or six years. Until now. Until now. It's down across the board about 35% as of today. Okay. My question to you, some of these individual stocks are down 40, 50, even 60%. At what point now do I cut my losses, take that money and buy some more bear market friendly stocks? Or at this point, do I just sit tight and wait I, for the market? I, I, you to know, buy? I have to tell you, um, I'm going to urge you to sit tight. Uh, and I'm going to do that because of exactly what you just said. They're down 40, 50. And some of these companies are pretty darn good. Uh, yeah, now, they are. Right? I mean, they have good balance sheets. If they have a bad, here's what we'll do. Look them over. If the balance sheets are bad, they may not get through this period because it's going to be a little bit here. If the balance sheets are fine, I want you to just stay. It's your mad money portfolio in the same way that I would keep putting money in the index funds. Now, when they, if we get a short, sharp rally, you're going to have to lighten up a little. And then they're going to come back again because the Fed is not going to relent so fast. A lot of people come on air and tell you that the Fed is not at fault. The Fed is Almost totally at fault. So let's just wait. I mean, yes, for international stocks that have a lot of business in China, that's the problem. But I don't want you to cut here. It would be the wrong time. You're going to get a bounce. How about we go to Scott in Ohio, please? Scott. Hey, Jim. Many booyahs to you. appreciate you taking my call. Absolutely. Hey, um, I am sitting on a lot of capital gains inside of an S&P 500 index fund. We bought in April of 2009, right after the bottom. Nice. And I don't know what to do. Because I'm literally, it's a $6,000 tax bill if I cash out now before the end of the year. Uh, do I hold on or do I cash out now? Is there more house pain coming? Or All right, so well, let me ask you a couple questions. First, if you don't mind, how old are you? I'm 32. Oh, well, that answers the question. You don't touch it. You got your whole life ahead of you. You got a lot of time to make that back. Okay, you're not 18, but you're 32. I would be contributing or just as regularly as I always have and do not take that capital gain. Who knows when j Powell comes to his senses and you'll sit there and say, what the hell did that Kramer get me out of the stock market for? I'm not doing that. Like our previous caller, Powell comes to his senses, those stocks could jump 25%. So let's just stay the course. I know it's boring, but I want that. John in New York, John. Jim, booyah. Booyah, John. Uh, well, first, I'd have to say, as an Action Alerts member, I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. But presently, and probably most important right now, is preserving our capital yes. when the times are challenging. Yes. Big help. I thank you for that. Absolutely. We're doing our best. We've pretty been, you know, been pretty bearish in these club calls, as you know. 
and we're just doing uh, over no, and over. No. We haven't bought, what did we buy, like 100 shares or something in this down fast. Now we're minus 10 on the oscillator, but yes, thank you, John. We're trying to preserve capital, and you're terrific to mention that you love the club. We had a really good call this week for anybody who wants to and listen. How can I help you? Your staff also, phenomenal. Yes, Jeff and Zed. Oh, my God, how can I help you? All right, now my question is, coming right into earnings season, uh, companies that come out with a, uh, a good report, uh, forward statement also pretty good, are they going to get rewarded or not is yet. everything going to be yet. watered because, down? Let me tell you, here's the problem. We had a lot of companies report, and they had one little thing wrong, and they just got crushed. So the market's being too picky. But you know what? If it's got a good balance sheet and good prospects and Jay comes to his senses, you're going to say, why didn't I buy some? And that's why we're positioning for the club to doing a little buying. We're not selling down here. It's too late. All right. Maybe too early to buy, but it's too late to just start. Wait for a bounce. Wait for a bounce. Wait for a bounce. Much more money. The payroll provider Paychecks has an unprecedented view at small business across the country. I'm going to talk to the CEO, Marty Musi, about yesterday's rate hike, see what it means for business. Then, how a John Boehner-backed marijuana company plans to to reinvent this space, kind of be like the next Procter & Gamble, can you believe it? And oil calls, rapid fire, and such, a lightning round. So stay with Kramer. I think Fed Chief Jay Powell made a serious mistake when he pledged to hit us with two more rate hikes next year. And that's why the market keeps getting obliterated. Powell feels compelled to tighten because employment's so strong. And that gives me an idea. You see, there's one particular industry that really benefits from uh, strong employment and higher short-term interest rates, and that's the payroll processors. Take Paychex, the second largest payroll processor in America. The company instantly became more profitable the moment the Fed tightened yesterday. Why? Because Paychex collects interest on the float, the money that they just happen to be sitting on while they wait for you to cash your check. And those rates are effectively set by the Fed. That, along with some neat diversification into human resources outsourcing, is why the stock of paychecks has held up much better than the rest of the market over the last couple of days. And today it was up nearly a quarter. Plus, the company just reported a modestly better than expected quarter yesterday, with management raising their full year revenue guidance. If you believe they can hit those numbers, this stock is just way too cheap. But what if the economy is deteriorating faster than we expect? And that impacts hiring. Let's check in with Marty Musi. He's the president and CEO of Paychex. You had a better sense of the quarter and his company's prospects. Musi, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. It's good to be here. All right, Marty, I've got to tell you, I felt better about the economy after I listened to your conference call because you are still seeing great strength, right? We are. We really are. You know, and, and maybe it's the more domestically. Uh, we're certainly not seeing any uptick of business failures, and we're still seeing business formations uh, growing. You know, employment is less. You know, certainly, but that's because there's very diff- It's very difficult to find employees. So, I mean, therefore, in the world that you're in, which is very important, small, medium-sized business, you could you could rationalize why the Fed continues to tighten. Well, yeah, I think to some degree, right? I mean, I don't think it's it's uh, the economy's super strong, but I certainly think it's steady growth, and we're seeing you know small to mid-sized businesses even saying that you know they're turning down some work because they can't find the employees due to the low unemployment rate. So I think the demand is there, and the optimism for businesses is there. 
Well, that's good because, I, yeah, I, you know, obviously I'm much more concerned, but I think that you've got a great yeah. vision because you have so many hundreds, you have thousands and thousands of clients. Now, you <laughs> just did something that I thought was really terrific. I have been so excited by your human resources business, and it is just on fire, the professional employer organization. Could you talk about this Oasis deal? Because I think it radically changed the way I look at paychecks. Yeah, it's really turning us more into an HR company, which we've been moving toward for some years. So you take the technology and the personal service, we're giving HR support, not just payroll, but HR support at a time when businesses have never needed it more. You know, as as a business owner, there's a lot of changes in the regulations state by state. And the requirements that they're as small and mid-sized businesses are having to have are really important. We're providing that HR support with over 500 HR specialists around the country. Well, I thought you were, there's a moment in your conference call that was really incredible. You say the client's perspective is getting more challenging every day, whether it's marijuana use, whether it's legal or not, whether to do drug testing. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of these uh, cannabis companies. I never thought about that. No, no company, small and medium-sized, knows what the heck to do. You guys do. It really does. Like it, and just today, you know, we're hearing, of course, you know about the non-harassment laws, sure. uh, requirements for training in New York State. Every company with more than one employee has to have non-harassment training of all their employees by the middle of next year. That has to happen in New York. How do you do something like that if you're a smaller, mid-sized business? You know, you have to look to someone who can help you do that. And uh, in changes in, in paid family leave, you know, minimum wage changes, these changes are coming faster than ever in history. And you don't want to be sued. You don't want to have the liability. So you look for support. Marty, you do have uh, growth that it varies. Some of these analysts are saying is sluggish. And automatic data is a very d- tough competitor. Can we see a paychecks out, say, uh, four or five years from now that is even more HR and you just have a continued good, steady payroll business and you do well because of the float, of course. But this HR business is growing twice as fast as GDP. It, oh, it is really. We're, we're seeing double. We've seen double digit increases in the worksite employees we serve. So these are the employees of the clients. And with the Oasis, once the Oasis deal closes, we will be the second largest provider of HR outsourcing to small and mid-sized businesses with serving uh, over 1.4 million worksite employees. So this is going to grow double digit, I think, for some time. And we feel we have been in this business for a while and we're going to be known much more as an HR company than a payroll company. Uh, I, I think it's be great. I do want to ask you one thing. You're a total straight shooter. I always have been. Yeah. You, you inked a deal not that long ago with Facebook. And I regard yeah. you as the old. Why do I use you as a client? Why am I a client of yours? You're the ultimate yeah. Mr. Clean. I mean, I never worry. And IRS calls me and whatever. I don't worry. But I need to know whether a deal with Facebook is something that you have to worry about. Did you call them and say, listen, I want to be sure you're not selling out any of my people? Well, absolutely. I mean, we were sure before we cut any deal with them. And what we're doing is providing them access. If you're within Facebook Workplace, which is a a tool within a work uh, environment where they can talk between the environment within the the employer, um, we're just providing you access for your employees to be able to get their pay stub, to be able to change their 401k, and without going outside of that Facebook Workplace app. And we feel very comfortable that no information is passing to Facebook, it's it's reaching out to paychecks, getting the information, and then coming back. So we're very comfortable with and the security. You double check of that. with these guys. Are you double check since this stuff? Ab- All right. Last Absolutely. question. Where, where do you think the Fed's really going to raise twice next year? Do they really know enough to be able to say something like that? 
Well, it was pretty interesting. I felt that I liked the statement about following the data. Right. So if the data requires, then do it. I wasn't as impressed with the data to, or the, the statement to say I'm going to do it two times. Right. So I'd rather they follow the data and then who knows, maybe it'll slow down a bit. All right, Marty. Congratulations. Good quarter. And the transformation, which I absolutely love. Thank you. The consistent dividend and just your straight shooting, which is making it so it's worth Great. owning your stock even through this craziness. Thank you to Marty Musi. He's the president and CEO of Paychex. You know I like this stock. It's really terrific. They have money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the light round! Please remember what's my about from Brown And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate Daddy? Time for the lightning round! Let's start with Bob in New York. Bob! Hi, Jim. Thanks for picking up my call. I, uh, another day in paradise. Uh, anyway, uh, about, uh, about a year ago, you interviewed. CEO Brian Chamber of Owings Corning, and uh, he was really extolling the cutting edge of the products they were manufacturing, and that was at about 96 bucks a share, and here we are at $43. Housing. Anything housing's been wrecked by the Fed, they don't seem to care if that's what that says. Nothing else. Mortgage rates went up too fast. Sorry. Not my fault. Mark in California, Mark. Hello, Jim. I sure appreciate your show and your style. Thank you. I'm a, re- I'm a retired conservative investor, and two months ago, my son recommended Hormel to me, so I've been watching it. It has held up compared to uh, so many of the other stocks pretty well. It has a good balance sheet, pays a good dividend, has been increasing its dividend. But at this point, am I better off with CDs or what do you no, think? No, no, no. Your son's got real horse sense. I happen to like Hormel. It had a really good last quarter. They're doing a lot of good things. It's a great way to play the disinflation that I see happening. Uh, so I think your son's right. Let's go to Bob in New Jersey. Bob. Hi, yes. I have uh, 100 shares of Blackstone now. Okay. Um, hello? Oh, okay. I like Blackstone. It's got nine percent yield. It's really well run. Uh, Schwartzman has seen all kinds of markets. I have faith in them. I think they know what they're doing. Let's go to James in California. James, how you doing, Mr. Kramerica? Happy holidays oh, to you. Oh, same happy holidays to you. Thank you. Cheers, me. What do you got? Therapeutics MC. I've held on to it for a few years, dollar cost average, but I just don't know. With all this good news, I just don't know why it's not where the analysts say it's going to be. What? I'm sorry. Well, this is Doc. Oh, you know, you know, I like the woman products. I mean, look, this is a total spec, okay? It's a total spec. They don't make a lot. They're losing money hand over fist, actually. Uh, but I think what matters is that if you want to speculate with it, I'm going to give you my blessing. Let's go to David in Maryland. David. Hey, Jim. I'm calling about the Cypress Care Network, Palo Alto Networks, ticker PA. This is a stock right now that I'm telling members of the ActionLearnsPlus.com club that they should be buying. My Chapel Trust owns it. Why? Because is there a greater trend in the world than the Chinese spying on us and hacking us that we actually have to go after them criminally? Who can stop it? CyberArk can stop it. Palo Alto can stop it. Cisco can stop it. Those are the ones to own. Let's take one more call. Let's go to Tom in New York. Tom. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Of course. 
Yeah, you know, my question is on a stock that I've been lucky enough to own since the late '90s, a Biomed. Oh, that's a good company. Oh boy, I bet it's really good. But I'm going to tell you right now in this kind of unsteadier market, the better one will be Medtronic. Okay, Medtronic's a little bit safer, and, and but those guys are good. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Whenever you get a market-wide meltdown like this one, you should start hunting for secular growth stores, companies that can keep growing regardless of what happens to the economy because they've got their own separate drivers. Not all of these secular growth names will necessarily be worth buying in weakness, but they're certainly worth investigating. For example, you know I like the marijuana business. When Canada legalized cannabis in October, they created a whole new industry out of whole cloth. That industry doesn't need a healthy economy to work. Look, the valuations here, they got a little extreme, of course. That's why I'm not recommending most of them, but I do think that they have a spot in your portfolio. This could bud, sorry, into a huge industry, which brings me to Acreage Holdings. Now, this is a small cap speculative situation. I always have to point that out. It's a U.S.-based cannabis roll-up with a stock that now currently uh, publicly trades in Canada, uh, thanks to what's known as a reverse takeover deal. While this company is tiny at the moment, it has some serious ambitions. What is the fact that former Speaker of the House John Boehner is on the the board of directors? You know, this business is going legitimate when a straight-laced guy like Boehner is willing to get involved. So let's check in with Kevin Murphy, the founder and chairman and CEO of Acreage Holdings, get a better sense of the industry and the company's prospects. Mr. Murphy, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you, too. Thank you, Thank Kevin. You Have a seat. Much. I've listened to Kevin speak, and I've got to tell you, he is, uh, uh, I thought at one point he was an evangelist. Now I'm just saying you're a real good <laughs> businessman. Uh, talk to me about the involvement of some very serious politicians who really made this, mm. I think, by their affiliation with you, into a much more serious force in our country. Could not be more fortunate to have Speaker Boehner, Governor Weld, and Prime Minister Mulroney a part of our board. These politicians have afforded us great access. They can make a phone call, and they get accomplished in that phone call that would have taken me six months to get done prior to that. Like, you have someone like Mr. Weld, I mean, Massachusetts legalized, you're there. When can we actually see a lot of sales? Because a lot of people in New York are worried that Massachusetts could take a lot of business. Well... That's why New York is on the cusp of legalizing as well for adult use, as is New Jersey, as is Illinois. So those four states alone are larger in opportunity than all of Canada. And you'll be there. And we will be there because we're licensed in all four of those states. Well, that's true. Now, this morning, we just got this Tilray. Uh, both for the health, which I know you yes. care about passionately, but also for recreational. We know Constellation uh, and what they've done uh, with, with, with Canopy. We, Kronos, uh, gets, who's next? Are you? Well, cautiously optimistic that we may be next, but we won't be next until we pass the States Act. Okay. And that leads to big investment, big conglomerates, coming back to the U.S., and our view is we need to take control of this business. All of these companies today are headed to Canada. Canada is one-tenth the size of the opportunity here in the U.S., and we all know the prize is here. So we believe it's not necessarily uh, an if, but a when, and I believe it's not within the next couple of years. I believe it takes place in 2019. 2019? That's, I believe so. Really? Yeah, it's, this is one of the only bipartisan issues in Washington today. Well, we had the today. Farm Bill passed today. Well, That's got some did. activity in this, in this world, right? 
It's a very good first step, right. but a very good second step and probably a more important second step is the States Act. And again, and that, tell affords, what that would do. Tell well, that would essentially enable companies in the U.S. to bank companies in the U.S. to list on New York exchanges. We, as a provider of cannabis in the United States, have to go to Canada and access the public markets there when all the Canadians are coming to the U.S. and listing here. Well, Canopy was able, you know, Bruce was able to. Oh, no, Bruce and Kronos and Tilray, for sure. We'd love that same opportunity to list here in the U.S. as well, creating more jobs, more money, more tax revenue. So why don't you do it if the other three did? Well, we're not welcome yet. Really? Unfortunately, we have to go north because it's federally illegal here in the U.S. Now, the States Act, we believe, mitigates all of that and puts us on even footing with everyone in North America. But uh, again, I'm just trying to understand how it was okay for, for Canopy. Because they operate solely in, in Canada. Canada. Okay, that's what I wanted to say. All right. In Canada. Okay, now, um, I look at who's been involved in tobacco sure. and alcohol. I mean, doesn't Diageo have to? Doesn't, does, they have to, right? They the all Heineken have to. has to. They all have to. And, and Bacardi has to. Sure. So, I mean, it's just natural. I mean, they was, I mean if wouldn't they want to be affiliated with the one where the speaker's on the board? <laughs> well, today, Acreage is the largest footprint in the United States with 19 states. We have a half of a billion dollars war chest. We have what we believe to be the best executive team and the best board. That equates to a very, very nice target for a Diageo, for a Constellation. But again, it will not happen until we have both the Senate and the Congress follow the 33 states that have already legalized and the 95% of Americans that believe cannabis should be available for legal medical use. Well, I think you're a terrific spokesman for the industry and for acreage. Again, I want to warn you because it's really important that I do this. Speculative Canada. You just heard Kevin Murphy, founder, chairman, CEO of Acreage Holdings, who is just a, a guy who understands what has to happen in this country. Stick with Kramer. Look, let's be constructive. Nike had a great quarter, all right? Good, good numbers in apparel and footwear. Cintas, small business uniforms. Good quarter. Okay, some good things can happen. Like I said, there's always one more summer comments to find just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.